Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. We are in week three of our spooky movies. I am one of your co-hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I am here with my, just, my amazing wife. Harmony Colangelo. How are you doing today, Harmony? Uh, well, we've already tried to record once today, and <laughs> our inconsiderate neighbors were blaring music so damn loud. And they do it all the time, but usually not as bad during the day. Mm-hmm. So it was just cutting through our walls and it was awful. And also like the weather's changing. So it's getting a little fall. It's getting a little little seasonal. It's my favorite season, but it's making my, making me a little froggy. So yeah. how are you doing? I'm I'm in that same boat. We we definitely do have some super inconsiderate neighbors, not even just with music. Music's fine. I would prefer they had a little bit better taste, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. But the real irritation is just the people are constantly running around and screaming and they're fighting with the door wide open and blocking entrances to the parking lot. It's just, it's a mess. So the, the irritation level is, is heightened by that. And yeah, I'm also on the struggle bus of these seasonal allergies and having, having seasonal allergies in a pandemic is super fun because you cough once and you're like, Oh wait, do I have allergies or am I dying? I think that you're not dying. Cause you basically have not left the house for like three months. Yeah, I really don't. I'm very immunocompromised, so I don't leave the house unless absolutely necessary. Yes. Which has been great for my sanity. I'm sure it's been great for all of your sanity at home as well. Yeah, but, but, today's episode deals a lot with uh, making death not quite so scary, so how's that for a segue? (laughs) It sure does. Today we are, we're actually going a little bit earlier than uh than our typical teen movie fair and we are talking about casper so the story of casper thanks to our friends over at fandango is that casper voiced by malachi pearson not devin sawa we'll get to that later is a kind young ghost who peacefully haunts a mansion in maine when specialist james harvey played by president of the united states bill pullman arrives to communicate with casper and his fellow spirits he brings along his teenage daughter cat played by you know everyone's favorite baby scream queen christina ricci Casper quickly falls in love with Kat, but their budding relationship is complicated not only by his transparent state, but also by his troublemaking apparition uncles and their mischievous antics. Uh, 
So Harmony, what was your introduction to Casper? I probably saw this movie new, like not in theaters, because my family really hated going to the movies, probably because it was hard getting everyone on the same page, and Mm -hmm. then my dad would complain, it's expensive. (laughs) But I think I saw this movie like new for like a rental, or we would record it off, had recorded it off the TV or something. So I maybe saw it when I was like six years old. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is one of, like, the few movies that we're actually going to discuss on this that I saw brand new, and I really remember having a lot of fond feelings for this movie, but I have not revisited it in probably 15 years, at least not while actively watching it. It might have been on, like, in the background somewhere. Awesome. I think I'm probably the same boat. I remember seeing Casper really young. So this movie came out in 1995, which meant that I would have been five years old. This movie also came out in May. This was a May release. Uh, prob- that's, that's an odd choice, considering it is, in fact, set at Halloween. Right. Um, this is definitely a Halloween movie, but it had a May release. And I remember watching this movie a lot when I was young um, for a couple of reasons. One, I like Halloween. Obviously, it's my favorite holiday. Two, I really loved Christina Ricci because... Because she was in like the Adams Family movies, so I rewatched a lot of things with her in it, and that does include the Disney movie That Darn Cat, which is questionable at best. She is doing a perfectly paycheck worthy performance in that <laughs> film, as is everyone else. But I loved Casper's the the ghost designs I thought they were so cool the ghost designs um, which they're, I they're so simple though <laughs> and they're like, perfect they have not had to be redesigned in like seventy years because Casper and his three uncles have such perfect designs they really do and it's it's important to bring up that Casper is also the first movie to have a fully CGI main character. So this is a groundbreaking film. It, it honestly does a lot of things that feel very groundbreaking for its time, which also makes it feel a little bit dated as a result. Yeah, unfortunately. But that's just the, the course you run with innovation. Agreed. But Casper is a movie that some people are probably questioning, like, why we're even talking about, because, you know, it's not like it technically a teen movie. But Casper is sort of capturing this preteen age... And I would argue that there there's some coming-of-age messaging happening here because girls do mature faster than boys, and we're dealing with 7th graders, um, or at least 7th grade-aged um, main characters here, uh-huh. um, one of which is Kat, and you know that, that definitely is the character that I always identified with. Yeah, okay, so the interesting thing about Casper is it's 100% like a teen girl movie, but... This is definitely the most, like, family film mm-hmm. that we have covered on the podcast so far. And I mean that not necessarily in just, a, oh, it's meant for, like, young kids, but can be enjoyed by the family. Because, like, look, there's Clint Eastwood and Rodney Dangerfield cameos randomly. <laughs> but it feels like it is a, like, young girl movie masquerading as a family film. Because there's, like, jokes for parents that no kid is going to get. And I certainly didn't get. And we had to look up a couple for this episode, actually. <laughs> like, I didn't know who the hell Cat Baloo was. You didn't know who that was. We had to Google it. <laughs> and because the main character of Casper, he is a boy, 
it definitely gives it more of like a teen boy or at least all all ages all genders vibe to it but the actual like theming and messaging of this movie is it's a romance and mm-hmm. it's about like a girl coming to the grips with like her mother being gone and now her father has to like basically confront the fact that it's like I don't know how to raise a young girl on my own like these are like definitive teen girl movie themes yes mixed in with like sword fighting ghosts with a plunger right i mean in all honesty i feel like this movie is very genius in that in that regard because we are we as the audience are supposed to be viewing this film through the eyes of Cat, or if we are a parent, through the eyes of her father. But then we have Casper, who's the titular role, and that's a boy. So now we have something that young boys can identify with. Yes, and the kid who voices Casper is so adorable and has, like, the sweetest voice. And I believe him, like, as just, he just wants a friend, and he's, like, pure good and innocence, and it's just really pleasant. He's adorable. It is so sincere and earnest, like, hey, I just want a friend, and you're like, oh, I want you to have a friend, too, Uh with your perfectly round head. He's, he's, uh, they, they call him a glowworm at one point, and that is precisely (laughs) what he looks like. so accurate. All right, so let's let's dive into our main characters. Let's first talk about Kat. Let's talk about our, our leading lady. How do you feel about her? So it feels like a weird comparison, but there's a lot of um, spooky girls from this era, like, you know, maybe like five years leading up to this that are easily comparable to Kat. The easiest ones being obviously like Wednesday Adams or Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. But she almost feels like a... I don't want to say like a simpler version, but she is less of a spooky kid. She's less enamored with like ghosts and macabre things than even like, you know, the previous performances from Christina Ricci. And I think that makes the whole, the cautious curiosity of ghosts very intriguing because obviously like her dad's whole career as a paranormal therapist, I think is officially his title. (laughs) Obviously his whole career is based around ghosts and they never, as far as I can tell, actually find ghosts. It seems like, you know, a whole bit of a, a bit of a sham. And there's definitely like this familiarity and this, not aversion to like the macabre themes, but it makes it, it makes it blend very well. It's almost like her introduction is the same thing as our introduction to this world would make sense. She's our surrogate character, I guess, in that regard. Yes, I, I agree with you. And I think that you're right on path by saying that she's a very similar character to, say, like a Wednesday Adams or a Lydia Dietz. But I think that for girls who liked Wednesday Adams or liked Lydia Dietz, the chances that their parents were going to let them dress or act or look the way that Wednesday and Lydia were allowed to um, was pretty slim to none. Yeah, this is this is a little bit more obtainable goth for yes. a 12-year-old. <laughs> yes, this is, um, this is like the parental acceptable version of like spooky girls um and i love the fact that it gets to be christina ricci she was sort of typecast around this time as that kind of girl yeah absolutely well i mean she nailed it so why why fix something that's not broken so where are you guys living in outer space (laughs) (laughs) no whipstaff you've heard of it you actually live there? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I know it looks kind of funky and stuff from the outside and everything, but, I mean, I don't know. Inside, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Well, yeah, if you drink blood. <laughs> but one of the things that I like the most about Kat is she is very... She's very sure of herself and she's very headstrong, which is something that I, I think whenever we have young girl characters with these traits, they tend to be presented as like bossy or they're obnoxious. And Kat never feels that way. She shows up to her first day of school and she's being openly mocked by her classmates and she's just sort of like, mm -hmm, okay. Well, specifically the annoying rich girl. Amber. And the teacher did her no favors by calling her Henry. Uh, Harvey. Oh, it's Harvey? Yeah, because that's her last name. Gotcha. Well, oh, Harvey. And everyone's just like, <laughs> Harvey. <laughs> Which is like the dumbest thing for these kids to get all like jazzed up about. It's like, you clearly understand what happened here. No, but kids are mean, especially in junior high. And they're going to pick a thing about like the new kid and absolutely dig into it. Yeah, it's the dumbest shit. I mean, I don't know if it was how it was for you, but when I was in junior high, that's when kids were their meanest in seventh oh, and eighth grade. They absolutely. were their most sociopathic. Yeah, because everybody is just filled with tons of hormones and desperately trying to figure out who they are and at the same time screaming, don't look at me, but everyone look at me. And uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of toxic, uh, toxic cocktails going on inside there. Yeah, though I will say, uh, the one thing I really wish this movie kind of explored more is a lot of the characterization of Kat and her relationship to her father doesn't play out super strongly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's a lot more subtle. Mm -hmm. This is more of a, a whimsical adventure kind of film with her relationship to Casper. And it doesn't really get to touch on the, like, dad doesn't understand me aspect much past, like, the first third. Because then they go their separate ways and dad's hanging out with the ghostly trio and she's off hanging out with Casper. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where where that's going. Um, I mean, there's this, there's a really powerful scene where they're driving to Whipstaff, and you know, Dad is clearly super jazzed on this, and Cat has to kind of throw in his face like, "I have ne- I have never had a friend because you make me move all the time." It's basically like an army brat. A little bit, yeah. But I think the difference in this is Harvey has, you know, Dr. Harvey's been so just pumped about his his line of work and his obsession, you know, with trying to find Kat's dead mom, that he has to come face to face with the fact that he has been, um, he's been neglecting his daughter and the needs of a child. But, you know, he, he makes the he makes the the pact with her that you know no more moving like this will this will be the last one and we'll we'll be good yeah and another like where it plays into subtlety again though with his character is that there is this um cautionary captain ahab sort of thing that parallels casper's father mm-hmm. because his obsession is building a machine to resurrect his dead son and it drives him insane and he ends up getting committed and presumably dies in the asylum in right. you know, probably like the 70s or something. So I guess it's like you reach this point where you can go down one of two roads as a father. Are you going to ignore your child? Well, I guess this doesn't work one-to-one with them because 
Casper's dad was not ignoring his child, but you know what I mean. Casper's dad was obsessed with his child, though, and, you know, sort of neglected his own needs and the things that he needed to, you know, stay sane. Yes, so it's not like a perfect, like, one-to-one comparison, but it's just a matter of are you going to follow your own personal obsession or are you going to, like, deal with the responsibilities of your life? Exactly. And I, I think that that's... That's really heavy for what is essentially a kid's movie. Oh yeah, this movie's got a lot of dark themes. The whole point of it is that this movie deals with with death constantly. Right. And and it deals with death in a way that is very mature and something that I know you pointed out is um for a movie that so heavily deals with the afterlife, it's super secular. Oh yeah, for real. I don't even um so Mrs. Harvey, I don't know. I don't remember do they refer to her as an angel? At one point, Casper asks, are you an angel? And she she doesn't say yes, and she doesn't say no. She just sort of, like, ethereally nods her head in a beautiful red dress. Yeah, and that's and even that is not the, like, Christian Catholic depiction of an angel. Because right. she doesn't have wings, she doesn't have a halo, she's not even wearing white. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe she's, she's an angel from hell, hence the red. But, you know, <laughs> let's redefine this. Red can be a glorious angelic color, too. Why not? And the only other real religious iconography that we see is when they they call upon the exorcist to try to clean the house out before Dr. Harvey comes along. And he's, he's a, I guess, a Catholic priest, but he also, like, doesn't give a single fuck about anything that's no, happening. No, he's, like, smoking and barely listening. And, and just, he's like, he, he looks like a con man. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I watched a video. I've talked to some people. Like, I've never done it, but I'll try it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one, again, well, that's one of those moments where I did not understand what was happening in that scene, because in that scene where they're essentially trying to exorcise the ghost, they call in a priest, and this is clearly an exorcist parody, mm-hmm. which I had not seen The Exorcist when I was, like, five I years old. I fucking hope not. God, no. <laughs> so, all I know is he goes in, he comes out, and his head's turned around, he's covered in goop, and I'm just like, what happened? And then, immediately <laughs> following that, you have Dan Aykroyd coming out and making a Ghostbusters joke. And I hadn't seen Ghostbusters yet either, which we watched that a lot growing up because my brother was super obsessed with Ghostbusters. But I saw Casper first, so he's like, who are you going to call? Someone else. And I'm like, oh, Dan Aykroyd, you, that, yes, that sounds like, oh, (laughs) no, none of the other Ghostbusters would have shown up and delivered that line. Only you would have. (laughs) But yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that either. So these are like those weird it's it's kind of a very adult movie like they swear kind of a lot in this movie yeah we were like really shocked when we're sitting there because kerrigan who we'll talk about a little bit later but kerrigan says bitch like three times and eric idol calls her a bitch at one point cat says you're like i'm pissed off or something like that yeah it's like is this movie like is this movie pg-13 because they're getting a lot of language (laughs) we're like no it's pg okay all right and like pg-13 existed at this point but i guess they squeezed in those uh those words where they could yeah they just it made it like right under the buzzer of whether or not you're gonna get flagged and have to bump up to pg-13 because this movie would not have done well at pg-13 like this is it's clearly targeting a younger audience of like maybe like 10 years old give or take a couple but like skews a bit younger and yeah pg-13 would have been the worst decision for this as much as i would love to have seen what that would have looked like i would have loved to have seen an r that would like just I want gritty I don't want gritty horrifying Casper. Casper. No, gritty Casper sounds bad. This child is so sweet. Why would you do that? He is the sweetest. So let's talk about Casper. Let's talk about our little glow worm. Show yourself. 
Here's the thing. I do don't scream, okay? I get that a lot. Are you a burglar? I must warn you that I am armed. Hello? Listen! Cut the crap, okay? If you don't show yourself right now, I'm gonna have you arrested for trespassing. Hey, okay. Jeez, calm down, lady. Here I come! love Casper he's he has like amnesia for most of the movie he does not remember his pre-death life very well until he has his memory jogged and it makes him like really innocent Mm -hmm. and so pure and lovable and he works as like a really good introduction to this world because he is just as unfamiliar with like humans as Cat is with ghosts and they learn from each other in that way so it's it's kind of like an amnesia storyline, but not as dumb. <laughs> no, that's that's a really cute way to, to describe him, is that he is this kind of pure and innocent soul. He's learning about the world because he's he's been so isolated for so long, just hanging out with his, like, shitty uncles. Yes, we, we tried to do the math, and we were like, when did Casper die? So this movie takes place in 1995, so then mm-hmm. we're doing the math, and we're figuring it out, and... Uh, we figured that he, his birth was probably around the time of Casper's creation in like the 50s or something, right? Yeah, it would have been somewhere in there. And the only way that we know that is because when he gets his treasure and it's a baseball, the baseball player, he's like, oh, it's like, I think like Dirk Snyder, Duke Snyder, something like that. And he played for the Dodgers. And then I looked that up and he played for the Dodgers until like 1962. So, so that means Casper's just been dead and living with his like crappy uncles alone for like four decades. Which is just so sad. And it's also, I I like that it deals with the sort of afterlife belief that whatever age you die at is the age that you sort of stay. Mm -hmm. So now he's just perpetually been 12. And this this poor little baby. But Casper's never really had a chance to grow up because he's essentially being raised like a homeschool child. And homeschool children obviously just function very differently from kids who go to public school because they don't have a chance to socialize. And that's, I guess, one of the big complaints about everyone who's like, we need to reopen the schools right now. Our kids are going to grow up to be weirdos. But it's not that intense, but Casper's kind of operating in that sort of a vacuum, you know? Yeah, no, I agree completely. And it's not like he's getting any sort of care or kindness or any sort of positive influence with his three uncles because they are just pure ass hattery at all times. Yeah, and it's a real testament to his spirit that he hasn't been broken this whole time. That sound is for that pun, just so everybody knows. I wasn't just magically turning into a jet plane. I was irritated at that pun. You're welcome. <sighs> God. So, yes, yeah, so we have Casper and Cat, and they're wonderful. And our other really main character is is Cat's dad, so Dr. Harvey. Um, how how do you feel about, uh, about Dr. Harvey? He seems like a really nice dad. Not in that he's great but that he's trying and he seems like he's good with children he just mm-hmm. doesn't know how to raise a, t- a girl now that she's a teen mm-hmm. and that's where his biggest hang-up is and i think that's where they're really differing 
I agree. I So first off, I just love Bill Pullman. I love him so much. And it's really impossible for me to watch him and not just be so endeared just by his existence. So I think that I probably give a little bit more credit to him as a dad who is essentially being super fucking selfish and dragging his kid all across the country. Because I know that he's doing it with the best of intentions. And I also have this deep empathy for him, knowing that the reason he is this, you know, ghost psychic or, you know, ghost therapist, for lack of a, a, a more non-bullshit way of describing it, he's doing this because he is struggling to mourn the loss of his wife. Yes, that is his white whale yes. sort of obsession. And it would be really easy to dismiss him as, you know as being selfish or as being inconsiderate or as being crazy. But when you lose somebody that means that much to you, it can really change how you view the world around you. And it clearly did for him. Yeah, this is really just him not dealing with his grief well. Mm -hmm. As much as he's trying to, you know, be a therapist for ghosts because they have unfinished business and he's trying to send them on his way... He's kind of helping other people so that he doesn't have to deal with his problems. That's exactly what's happening. He is helping other people, you know, dead or not, deal with their either their inability to cross over to the other side or their inability to let their their person go. And it is a great way for him to, to deflect, to not have to let his wife go. And it's really such a dad thing to not really acknowledge or deal with your feelings properly and mm-hmm. to just bury yourself in work. That yeah. is such a dad mentality when it comes to deep emotions like this. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that this movie does really, really well is it dives in there. And again, this is this is some like heavy shit for a kid's movie. Yes. And it's it's really subtle. It's, it's just a taste. You have to dig for it. It's not presenting it so obviously that it's going to like hamper little kids' enjoyment of the slapstick scenes. Yep, agreed completely. So we've got we've got the Harvey family, we've got Casper, the other real characters that we've got going on here. So we have our our human villain, we have Kerrigan and her her sidekick Dibs, which what a name, played by Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle. So how how are you feeling about them? I love them so much and I remember they're, I remember them being in this movie so much more than they actually are. I think it's because they are really distinctive and leave a really good impression because I am sitting here the whole time we're rewatching it going, where are they? I remember all these funny lines and these funny interactions and they're maybe on screen for like six minutes in the whole movie. Maybe maybe not quite that much, but like 10 minutes, certainly less than 10 minutes. Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle are like barely in this movie and they are so good and, you know, they're memorable because, I mean, Eric Idle's member of Monty Python. So yeah. he knows how to make a mark. He's maybe the underrated one. I, I would agree with you on that. And then we have Kathy Moriarty, who not only has one of the most distinct voices in cinema history. Oh, I love it. But every time she's on screen, like, you can't look away from her. She just chews the scenery and just 
God, she's so good in this. She's so captivating, and I just, I really just want her to to, to lecture me on my life and be like, listen here, you little shit. Just, <laughs> I, I want that in my life in her voice. But we don't get that quite in this movie, but we get the, we get the same vibes as that. Yeah, we, we get pretty close to it, and... I mean, so, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this 25-year-old movie, uh, at one point, Kathy Moriarty dies, and... It's the funniest and darkest scene in the movie. Like, obviously, I know that she dies, you know that she dies, because we know, we, we know she comes back as, like, a really kind of fabulously designed ghost with, like, really prominent lipstick. Uh, and intensely jiggling tits. Not as intensely jiggling as Fatso's tits. Oh, yeah, no, there's a lot of jiggle physics for the ghosts there, in this movie. It's pretty impressive. But Kathy Moriarty's death is that she's, you know, trying to kill Dibs. He's trying to kill her because they know one of them has to be a ghost. She crashes into a tree and it's like, oh, okay, I need to get out. And then when she opens the door to get out of the car, falls off of a cliff. And you watch her fall off this cliff. Yeah, you see her fall, like, probably, like, 60 feet. Just drop. Like, obviously, it's a kid's movie, so we don't see the splat. But, like, you hear it. And it's surprisingly so graphic we're like holy shit we're gonna just watch this woman fall to her death yeah it was and this is actually a thing we looked up about this movie is like how did critics feel about this film because i'm sitting here for like the first half thinking oh this is clearly targeted towards young kids it's a little mm-hmm. a little cutesy but critics were upset that this movie was too dark at the time <laughs> yeah, and the scenes like this for sure are really <laughs> big examples of that But I think just approaching the concept of death in general is deemed too dark for kids of the age that would have been seeing this. Yeah, I I agree. And especially because, I mean, right after this scene, like we, I think we timed it out. It was like less than four minutes is when Dr. Harvey dies by drunkenly stumbling into a manhole and just drops. Yeah. And this is after he was about to be murdered by the ghostly trio. (laughs) Yeah, with guns. Like One was a spear gun. Oh, you know, and why, bars, please explain to me, why do you have so many weapons just readily at hand? This is not the Winchester, fuck off. Because there's rowdy riffraff. Ugh, God, too much. So, (laughs) that kind of leads us into our ghostly trio of Stinky, Fatso, and Stretch. How do you feel about these, uh, these hooligans? They're fine. They're, they're, they're one-note characters. They're big assholes yeah, they they kind of get a redemption story at the very very end that they didn't earn yeah i'm i'm with you on that these these are definitely the the slapsticky big physical comedy uh funny voices sort of relief for this movie yeah but they're also like floating embodiments of toxic masculinity <laughs> god they suck like they they're so mean to Casper. They're so mean to the Harvey family. They're so entitled. They're just, ugh. Yeah, I don't know if this was, like, the plan at the time, but the way that they resist therapy from Dr. Harvey is the most telling a man to go to therapy <laughs> kind of reaction. Well, the one the one good thing that they do have, and uh, it's something... <laughs> It's something that I don't think a lot of people notice. There is a fat ghost character named Fatso, voiced by Brad Garrett, because of course. And there's, like, no fat jokes. Like, there's, like, there's some physical comedy elements where they, like, you know, put Fatso in drag because obviously he's the one who could have tits. But they don't address it. It's not, like, in major pain where they're, like, the fat kid has to wear a dress because you have tits. It's just, like, no, he's just, like, this is my, this is my role in the group and I'm gonna do it. But they don't ever, like, make him feel bad about his fat ghost body. <laughs> yeah, in the same way they don't make Stinky feel bad for his halitosis, but 
Yeah. It's still, he's still like a one note character. And the point where they put him in drag is the meanest scene in the whole movie. It's, see, when the, when the critics talk about this movie being too dark, my brain goes to this scene where they're like, yeah, we found your dead wife. You should, you should come in this room. And they play this like beautiful, like growing music. That's like vaguely Edward Scissorhands. There's like smoke and lights. And just wind blowing in his hair and he opens it and he's so excited. He thinks he's going to be reunited with his dead wife and it's fatso in drag. And to be honest, he looks pretty good. I mean, he does look pretty good. He looks pretty fabulous. He's got kind of like a Jessica Rabbit dress going on. It's a good look for him. But also, that is so fucking mean. Yeah, and then at the end of the movie when, you know, he is reunited with his wife at the very end, it's like, oh, well, turns out you know some ghosts who actually upkept their end of the bargain or whatever. And I was like, no, they don't deserve that redemption, redemption arc. <laughs> yes, they tried to kill this man. They tried to kill him. They tried to have him run away from his problems by getting him drunk at a karaoke bar. Right. Like, they did everything wrong. And it's like, oh, they did one nice thing. I guess they got a redemption arc. Yeah, no, screw that. You don't get to, you don't get a redemption arc for being, which, doing the bare minimum and the expected. Yeah, for real. <laughs> you don't get a redemption arc for you know, following through on your word. That should just be part of your, your personality. <sighs> so let's, let's talk about these themes. Let's, let's get into this darkness because there's a lot of, a lot of darkness that we need to, uh, kind of address. So I'll let you go. What's, what's something weirdly dark about Casper that you want to talk about? When we sat down to do this movie, we're like halfway through it and it's like those those boiling just beneath the surface themes that you mm-hmm. don't fully acknowledge where halfway through I'm sitting there going, oh, well, I mean, this is kind of a kid's movie. I don't know how much we're really going to get to talk about it because, you know, a lot of this is not there's, not, there's not a lot of meat on these bones. And then it's like, oh no, there's a ton. It's just, <laughs> we might be overanalyzing it a little bit based on, it, it doesn't go as deep as we're making it. Mm-hmm. But one of the darkest themes in this film is Casper, when he is reunited with, like, all of his childhood toys, he finds his sled, and he goes and describes in detail how he died. It is one of the hardest things to sit through, because not only are you, you watch this essentially child, um, filled with so much joy and merriment of like, this is my train. Oh my gosh, these are all my things. I love this. And he's so happy. And it is like the purest joy of a child. And then when he comes across that sled, not only are we getting the backstory of how he died, which is essentially me and my dad went out and played in the snow and had a great time. And then I caught pneumonia. Like that's the story. But you're not only getting the story, you're watching him process the weight of that. I took it out, went sledding all day. My dad said that's enough, but I couldn't stop. I was having so much fun. Got late, got dark, got cold, and I got sick. My dad got sad. What's it like to die? Like being born, only backwards. I remember, I didn't go where I was supposed to go. I just stayed behind so my dad wouldn't be lonely. Yes, and I'm actually thinking about this right now. And earlier when I said Casper's dad and Cat's dad, 
were similar. I, I think I think I'm actually was on to a little bit more of a perfect comparison than I thought because Casper's mom passed away before him. Mm-hmm. So then it was just his dad and him. Mm-hmm. And had Mr. Harvey not like, you know, swayed from his pursuits and obsessions to find his dead wife, he would have lost Kat, not in a, like a death sense, but then he probably would have been trying to win her back in, you know, kind of like the wrestler or something like that, where mm-hmm. you're disenfranchised because you followed your dreams and then try to rekindle things with your daughter 20 years later. Yeah, I I, I think that's definitely where he probably would have been headed. And just watching this 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 perfectly pure and wonderful ghost child process the idea of like his own mortality well one it's his own mortality but there's also this moment where like he he obviously doesn't say it but there's this moment that he he recognizes that he died because he had fun with his dad and he that begged is his dad for that sled he begged his dad for that sled his dad got it for him and then he got sick and like that is so dark and so heavy and because immediately after the story is when they find the newspaper clippings that talk about how his dad you know became obsessed with building the Lazarus machine to bring Casper back to life and it ended up getting him committed so it's not only just Casper dealing with his own mortality but also the the fallout of i died and it drove my dad crazy mhm and that is so like, it just, like, really hurts to, like, sit there and think about it. And it's like, you know what? No wonder this kid doesn't remember all of his, like, pre-dead life. Like, this was probably his little ghost brain being like, you know, we're just going to block this shit out. Because otherwise, you're going to spend eternity fixating on this. I mean, I've always read it as, you know, when you die, you kind of lose your memories. Because that happens to uh, Dr. Harvey more later when he dies. Yeah. But that is definitely more of the real world application of this sort of trauma. And I think we have to apply a little bit of the real world application, considering that Dr. Harvey's job is that he's essentially a therapist for ghosts. So there's like a lot of therapy shit going on in this movie that I definitely didn't recognize as a kid. Um, despite the fact that I (laughs) started going to therapy a lot younger than most people. Yeah. Well, this is a 25 year old movie and you know, it's 20, turning 25 this year. This is still a time period where if you went to therapy, like you were seen as like crazy or there was something wrong with you. Yes, we did not normalize therapy until very, very recently. And even still, there's a lot of stigma. Yeah, particularly for guys, unfortunately. Yeah. Anybody who identifies as a man in any way, shape or form or masculine, go to fucking therapy. It's good for you. Yeah. Not everyone needs therapy, but I I definitely have a... I've definitely, as I've gotten older and talked things out with you and other people, you know, gotten in, maybe it's that I got in touch with my feminine side. (laughs) There was a lot of things that I had, had repressed and had to work through years later. Oh yeah. And I think that's, that's true for all of us. There is no shame in therapy. It, it's, it's the best thing that you can do for, for your mind and for your soul. This has been a PSA on pro therapy. And also if there's ghost therapists. That means it's never too late to get therapy. <laughs> it's never too late. So <laughs> so something else, um, because I brought up the Lazarus machine. So I have to say that uh, I personally believe 
that Casper is one of the most fucked up movies of all time. And this is something that I have written about. I, I wrote an article about this for um, Blumhouse.com, RIP, because that website does not exist anymore. Um, and this was based off of a point that um, a, a friend of mine named Dustin Mills, who's a filmmaker, had made once. And it was like, yes, somebody finally said it. So I want to just give credit where credit is due. So the Lazarus machine, this, this machine that Casper's dad has invented to bring his son back to life. Spoiler alert, it works. It does work. But what it does is, like, the ghost enters the machine. There's this, like, cranberry juice-looking red liquid that you put in the machine, and then it turns that ghostly spirit into the physical form. It brings this person back to life. I'm a real boy. Yes, pretty much. So it brings this ghostly, this ghostly figure, turns it into the human. So, here's where it gets fucked up. The ghostly spirit is what turns into the body, which means that had Casper's da- dad been successful, he would have taken, you know, little glowworm Casper, put him in the machine, turned him into a son. The body of dead Devin Sawa would still be buried in the graveyard somewhere, which means... That when they turn Dr. Harvey back to life because Casper, you know, sacrifices his ability to come back in order to give Kat her dad because Casper is a good dude. Dr. Harvey's ghost turns into, you know, the physical form. Is his body still at the bottom of that manhole he fell in when he died? I have questions. The answer is yes. It's essentially a form of cloning. It is Like, thank you. The Lazarus machine is essentially like ghost cloning into people, which means that Bill Pullman's dead-ass body is at the bottom of that manhole, and those poor construction workers are going to come to work on Monday and find his dead ass, and then they're going to show up at Whipstaff and see him walking around like nothing's wrong, and then Kat's going to get put in foster care. Like, no one thought this through. One of... My favorite things about this story is that you go out of your way to divulge this information to people. (laughs) You brought this up apropos of nothing on like our first date about how you needed to make this point. (laughs) I don't even remember how we got on the subject of Casper. No, I think we were talking about movies that are like fucked up or like weird stuff we've seen. I was like, you know, it was really fucked up. Casper Casper. the Friendly Ghost. (laughs) Super fucked up. But like when you really think about it, you're like, God, that is dark shit. Like that is horrifying. I, I want a Santa Clarita Diet style show about having to now hide this body. <laughs> right. Like, do, do, the, do the ghostly trio, do, like, did they take his body out? Like, did they cover up this crime? I, there's so many questions. And there was a guy at that bar who was just crying. He knows that this man has died. There are witnesses. I think the ghostly trio would have a sort of weekend at Bernie's hangout with them. <laughs> oh my god, that's the sequel that we really with needed. With his just corpse. With his corpse. Oh my god, that would have been perfect. We, oh, someone, someone, go back in time and please give me this. It'll be like another weekend at Bernie's. It's twenty five years later. The body hasn't decomposed. <laughs> it's fine. That's that's disgusting. So anyway, yeah, that, that, that's dark. We, we went to some dark places there. Um, but you know what? We didn't go to those dark places. The movie went to the dark places, and we're just giving them to you on a silver platter because nobody wants to think about how dark this is because they're just like, oh, it's Casper. He's the friendly ghost. I mean, he is friendly. That's not his fault. Yeah, he's friendly. This movie, not so friendly. So You got the giggles? the giggles that's not as bad last night i had the giggles so bad that i was like in tears and inconsolable i was really worried about your asthma yeah my asthma was 
I think they were just like holding on as tight as they possibly can. Like, nope, we gotta look, keep her breathing. Come on, work together. Cause it was, it was bad. I could not stop. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so some of the other themes that we're dealing with here is also this, this idea of parental loss. One of the things that connects Casper and Kat together is this idea of, you know, Casper lost his father when he died and Kat lost her mother. And there's this moment where they're talking and Casper's talking about how he doesn't actually know, um, much about his family pre, uh, you know, pre, pre memory jogging. And Christina Ricci delivers this monologue where she's describing the little things about her mom that she'll never forget. And like one of those things is like the way she puts her lipstick on the things that she would say every night before bed. And I think that this moment is so beautiful because it is so just sincere and genuine because when you lose people, a lot of times in like obituaries or whatever, it'll be like, I remember, you know, so-and-so was a, a great student and a wonderful mother and they worked here. And it's like such surface level stuff. But when you lose somebody, the things that you remember are the things that no one is ever going to write about. I wonder why you don't remember anything. Hmm. I guess because when you're a ghost, life doesn't matter that much anymore. So you forget. Sometimes I worry that I'm starting to forget. Forget what? My mom. Just certain things. The sound of her making breakfast downstairs. The way she put on her lipstick. So carefully. I just really find that scene to be really beautiful. And it's also one of the hardest ones to listen to because it is so genuine. And I mean, we, we record these all pretty, pretty far in advance. And um, this, is, this is being recorded about a week after the anniversary of one of my closest friends, um, the just amazing Amanda Jarrett Hutchison. And um, I, I lost her four years ago. And so she, she weighs very heavily on my heart around this time of year. So to like listen to Kat talk about her mom in this way, like it definitely pulled up a lot of those feelings about when, when Amanda passed and thinking about, you know, the way that like her dimple would pop out when she would, when she would smile or the sound of her voice when she was imitating (laughs) Nicki Minaj or, you know, how she would always have these like random, like stray hairs on the side of her face when she put her hair up too quickly. And it's like those little things that like, you don't know why your brain is keeping them, but Casper does such a good a a good explanation of like, yeah, death is not about like, oh, my dad was this great scientist or, oh, my mom was this great person. It's like my mom put her lipstick on a certain way and she tucked me in like this. And like, those are the things about humanity that we should be memory, uh, keeping in memory and cherishing. Yeah. Those are the little things that make you, you, you know, it's what makes us human and, you know, dealing with Casper and, one of his his great regrets until he has that memory jog is like, I don't remember being human. And like, what is it? Like, what does it mean to be human? And that's one of the big questions that, you know, is constantly being 
asked in here. Um, we don't really get an answer, but it doesn't doesn't need one. one. Yeah, I don't I don't think there is an answer to that, and that's that's a a big takeaway that I have with this and. The fact that Kat is dealing with all of these things while also, you know, starting a new school, being, you know, a teenager and transitioning into this this new form of this new chapter in her life is really, really hard. So at the same time, Casper's also giving this message about how, like, puberty is hard and growing up is really, really hard. And you can't really tell those stories about people this age without acknowledging all that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's all about a time of of growth and new experiences that really you don't have any more intense ones like this until maybe when you're 18 and you're freshly out of school. Mm-hmm. You know, there these are like those milestones you have like when you're growing up. Yeah, I I agree. And I don't know. I have this weird, this weird feeling where I I read these reviews where they talk about how how this movie is super dark and this is, you know, whatever, whatever. And I agree with that. It is dark, but I think it's really necessary because we as a culture have a tendency to not talk about this sort of stuff with kids. We as a culture have a tendency to not talk about these things, period. Yeah, that's also very true. Do you want me to spoil this somber moment with bad I mean, comedy? <laughs> I mean, we can. It's fine. We're going to get back to comedy anyway. So, you know, go for it. Um, probably five years ago, my brother got hit by a train. And people always are like, oh my god, is he okay? And I go, no, he's dead. <laughs> and they don't want to laugh about it because they're like, oh my god. And it's like, no, he was an asshole. Like, he treated me like shit. He was an alcoholic. They- People, since he's dead, they're like, oh, well, he was so nice and he was so... No, he was an asshole. Like, there mm-hmm. was... there's You can be both things. You can be an asshole and do nice things occasionally. Mm-hmm. And so help me God, if my mother ever hears this, which she won't, probably, then she's going to be mad. Yeah. Uh, no no one tag my mother on what Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please don't. It's fine. But after he died... Um, I had to go drive home to go be with my mom because she's like, you're my only kid now. I I need to have you near me because I'm afraid that you're dead all of a sudden unless I can tangibly touch you. Right. So the rest of the day, we had people coming over and doing like the ceremonial thing where it's like, oh, hey, someone you loved is dead. Here's a casserole. Which is like such a weird thing. Like I get it. It's It's so that you don't have to worry about like your... Your, your necessity is like, you're already in your house, you're fine, but like, here's so you don't have to cook. Like, I get it, but also, like, it's such a weird thing. Yeah, and I'm also from a very white suburb, so it was a lot of not very good casseroles. A lot of seasoningless casseroles? Yeah, and a lot of weird combos of foods. Like, there was multiple, like, green bean-related mixtures. Yeah, that's... So, yeah. I just, stuff that I prefer not to eat. But... The whole time we're there, it's just a revolving door of people coming and going, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching my my mother with like no makeup on and puffy eyes and just looking the absolute worst I've ever seen her, and people just keep saying, "Hey, how about how about you tell us about about your son? Tell tell us about your son." And then my mom would squeak out that you know, oh, he was an asshole, but he was my asshole, or some sort of story from when he was like eight years old, like which was. 20 years or whatever removed from when he, how old he was when he died. And 
I just sat there the whole time thinking, you don't, I, I realize that you guys want to, like, help, but you should be here comforting her, not digging up these horrible memories right now that she's she's going to remember that, like, her son is dead. Right. Whether you're here or not, you should be helping her, like, feel better, not digging around in this wound, because I don't, maybe that's just my opinion and how I prefer to process things, but I was essentially trying to be the comic relief of this thing, not, like, total slapstick garbage, like, I was towing the line, but... It was so difficult to watch all these people just come in, and this was much harder than the funeral or this whole circumstance mm-hmm. of, of the death itself. It was so difficult to watch these people come in and say, oh, hey, I'm sorry, here's pasta salad. Tell me about your and some nice thing about your son. Oh, he seemed like a good boy. Okay, bye. And then they, like, peace out and they leave. Yeah. And there's just this weird thing where I feel like people... Either because they don't have therapy or just we as a society don't know how to handle this, but people don't know how to f- how to deal with death. They don't know they don't know how to make people feel better, and they're just constantly uncomfortable with it. And I think that's why this movie was considered too dark because it's all about you know the afterlife and mortality. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. I think I'll be the first to admit that I I struggle with death in a lot of different ways. Um, I struggle with death in the sense that. The first may usually, typically, and this is obviously a, a sweeping generalization, but for the most part, the first time that children are exposed to death are either through the death of a pet or through the death of like an elderly person in their life, a grandparent, a great aunt, somebody who they they likely know. Um, but potentially don't have, like, a super deep connection with. Yeah, it's not an immediate family member. It's this the second tier. It's not someone in your household, typically. Yes. Um, obviously, that is a sweeping generalization. There are plenty of people who experience it much, much closer, but I'm, I'm speaking for the general population. My thing with death is the the first two major deaths in my life. The first one was was a grandparent, and it was a grandparent who had been sick for a very, very long time. And I was young. I, was, I think I was like 11 or 12. And it was very difficult, but it was a little bit removed. The next death that I experienced was a very close friend. Somebody that I had grown up with that I was very, very close with, who um, their, their death was accidental. Um, it was completely out of nowhere and it also became this really weird like fucked up thing so my friend who had passed away had accidentally um died during um self-autoerotic asphyxiation and it's really hard not to laugh about this but that's that's how that's how they died and the problem is that when they died a lot of people didn't want to say that that's what happened so then it got sort of warped into this thing where it was like teens today are playing the choking game where they're choking each other to pass out to feel high and be careful because your kid might die from it. It's like Flatliners, but not at all anything like <laughs> Flatliners because that's not what was happening. So I had this like massive moment in my life where it was this horrible, like sad experience, but at the same time, we all thought it was like weirdly and morbidly hilarious because we're like, 
That's not that's not how they died. They died because they were jerking off with a belt around their neck and couldn't get it off. Like this is this is not a choking game. This is not some dateline NBC like take care of your kids bullshit. That's not what's happening. So I developed this very, like, it sort of, like, sucked the wind out of death for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, moving forward, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and I fully intended that, like, I was dying. Um, I'm also severely mentally ill. I've had my own issues with, you know, my own, you know, dark thoughts. So because of that, I, I never know the right thing to say. And I fully admit that I never know the right thing to say. Yeah, me either. I have... A lot of empathy. I have some sort of, like, stock things that I, like, pull out of my arsenal. But the reality is there's never there's never a right thing to say. No, it's because everyone operates totally differently. Exactly. And I think that we as a society act like we don't. We, we act like, oh, this is what you do. You show up and you give the casserole and you try to get a good story um, to make them think about something positive and then you leave them to be with their feelings. And, like, that is not the way we should be handling this. We need to be looking at like the specific needs of each individual person of like, what do you need in this moment to help you mourn? Do you need to be around people? Do you need to be left the fuck alone? What can we do? Yeah. And that's just like a simple, like that, that in of itself is just like a simple yes or no kind of thing that does not put everyone on the same level. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm upset, most of the time I don't want to be around people. Like maybe you, and even then, that's pushing it. Sometimes yes. it's like, I need to be alone. And I'm like, cool, this is yeah. why we have two bedrooms in I'm, our house. I'm going to put some headphones in and I'm just going to whatever. So there's definitely not a, a one size fits all kind of kind of sizing thing for, for death, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we can kind of tie this back in with Casper in that Kat and Dr. Harvey, they have completely different ways of mourning. Dr. Harvey is clearly somebody who has thrown himself into work, who is trying to keep himself as distracted as possible, who's moving all over the country because he can't sit still because if he does, then like that pain sits in. Whereas Kat is like, I just want to fucking sit here and deal with it and then move on and live a normal life again. Yeah, well, Dr. Harvey seems like he's a fixer. Yes. Because yes, yes, yes. he's a therapist and obviously he, he wants to fix things. And if it can't be fixed right now, like, well, what do I do? I just have all this energy where I feel like I need to fix it and I can't. And it just makes things worse, which is kind of like the difficult relationship he has early on with Kat, where he's like, I don't, I don't know how to fix this. Yeah. No, I agree. I 100% that's exactly what's happening here. Dr. Harvey is a fixer and this is, this is out of his depth and oh, yeah. he's flailing. Exactly. So we've been talking about a lot of the these themes that are going around a little bit in here, but we haven't really touched a lot on kind of the the girlhood aspects of this. And we would be remiss to talk about the girlhood aspects of Casper and why this movie was so important to so many girls if we did not mention baby Devin Sawa. So for those that do not know, Devin Sawa and Casper is apparently like the universal awakening for a lot of teen girls. And I think that it has to do with a couple things. One, he's super handsome. Like he's sure. He's a, he's an adorable I, I don't have a horse in this race. I'll believe you. <laughs> 
he like he's so adorable. Um, his and honestly, his presentation is sort of universal for I mean even young queer girls because like there are I know a lot of lesbians who have that haircut these days. He comes in here with this like <laughs> flouncy peasant top, like he's gonna be on like a teen boy romance novel. <laughs> right, he's got these like really bright eyes, and he's got all these like very visible freckles, and this transformation from being you know our glowworm to now this like really adorable like kind of handsome you know junior high boy it happens right after we've watched casper like be the best dude ever yeah like i have the chance to come back to life and like hang out with you and we can be together but basically his birthright yeah and he's like nope i'm not going to i'm gonna give this one chance to your dad so that you can have your dad. So already, like, the heartstrings are being pulled on. And then for him to show up as a human and, like, dance with her at the dance when no one wants to dance with her and, like, give her her first kiss and say, like, can I keep you? Which is a really weird line, but it's something only someone who does not know how to be smooth (laughs) would say. Right. But, like, that combination of that, like... So many women that I know that were around like probably 10 or 11 or were 10 or 11 when they saw this, they'll talk about like, oh, who is your first celebrity crush? And they're like, fucking Casper. Yeah. It's. And they tease it so well because you're sitting there going like, oh, Casper is a real boy. Well, he clearly doesn't look like this eggheaded ghost. (laughs) What's he look like? And then there's this long walk following him where you see, like, the back of his head. So, like, it's just, it builds up kind of anticipation, you know? Yeah, it really does. Like, it, this is, like, the big reveal of, like, oh, okay. And, of course, Devin Sawa is not the actual voice of Casper. No, not at all. <laughs> He's not. Um, which is always something that I, I, like, break people's hearts when I explain that. I'm like, nuts. He was there for that scene and that's it. But, I mean, this is this is the moment that also, you know, sparked his career and I think a major part of that is because girls lost their fucking mind. Yeah. They loved him. And, you know, it was weird because we were watching it, and obviously I'm an adult now. But, like, I remember watching that scene as a kid and being like, oh, okay, handsome. And now I look at it as an adult, and I'm like, I had such a big crush on Devin Sawa when I was a kid, like, figuring my shit out. And I was like... Do I like this boy or am I supposed to like this boy? Who knows? I'm not a good judge of whether or not like 12 year old boys are cute <laughs> or not. I certainly don't remember watching this movie as a kid being like, oh, Devin Sal is so cute. But I was bracing myself as we're getting ready for this reveal of like, oh God, he's going to have that front butt middle part haircut, <laughs> isn't he? And he is the absolute best case for that because haircut. Because there's so much volume. So it doesn't look like a gross, like slimy, like... N- that Nick awful middle, middle part. part that like Jonathan Taylor Thomas popularized and every kid who like grew his hair up, but like it can't be that long. So it's just gonna be kind of long in the front. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, he, his is, is perfection. Yeah. Because he has it the is... best version of it. It arches like it's got height. So it's like the McDonald's arches. It's and then like, it, like feathers. Yeah. No, he's, he's doing a great job, but I personally feel very creepy being a 30 year old woman judging this small child. See, but the, here's the thing here is it's not, <laughs> I, I've wrapped, I've, Here's the thing. I've grappled with this about certain things my whole life where if the person that you saw when you were like that age or an age appropriate thing where you still go, "Mm, I still think they're cute. I don't think that's weird. 
I think it's because it's you're not pulling on that, like, oh, I'm attracted as an adult looking at a kid. It's like, no, I'm remembering those feelings I had as a child. Yeah, I'm sitting here going, man, Topanga was so cute. Right. Like, I, mine was Lily Sobieski, specifically in Jungle to Jungle. Yes. Yep, I remember being, like, a, a very young girl and being like, she's the prettiest girl in the whole world. Yeah, and, and like, it's, it's a little weird now because, like, Topanga's older than I am. Yeah. It's also really strange, though, when, like, as an adult, like, I look at Lily Sobieski now and I'm like, yeah, no, she's still one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in with my eyes. <laughs> like, she she grew up to continue to be, like, one of my biggest crushes. She's looks kind of exactly the same still that's why yeah probably i don't know but yeah i mean devin sawa does too like he's still super handsome as hell he is and devin sawa is one of my favorite twitter follows because he is aggressively liberal and just has no patience for anyone it's amazing yeah he's very funny he's a great follow on twitter but i think like that's a major part of girlhood is this you know this this first kiss this like first crush and what i think is so beautiful and powerful about this in Casper is that Cat falls in love with Casper purely based on personality because he's a ghost. I mean, I'm pretty sure she kisses this boy without knowing that it's Casper. No, she knows that it's Casper because he says, can I keep you? Yeah, but is that before or after they kiss? That's before. Okay, well, my bad then. <laughs> but also, it's like, this probably was a really powerful moment because in this whole walk-up scene, we're just going to spend we're gonna spend 20 minutes dissecting this one scene. <laughs> I don't care. It's, per- it's a great scene. <laughs> it is. So he's walking through this crowd of people, and they're all, like, slow dancing, and I'm sitting there watching all of the costumes in the background because that's one of my favorite games to play. There are so many fucking clowns at this party. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite games to play whenever there's, like, a Halloween movie or, like, a Halloween episode of a show is just trying to catch references or random characters in the background and be like, what the fuck are you dressed as? Like, that, I love it. The smoking nun? The smoking the nun. The smoking nun at a there, children's party? There's a smoking nun, the teacher's a lobster, there's a random Fred Flintstone. I, the, the, there's never a better example of this than in regular shows, Halloween episodes, where I'm always like, who are you trying to be? Because it's always a reference. Yes. This one is a lot of just, like, weirdly cheap, strange costumes. Including, like, four clowns. Well, I mean, this is produced by Spielberg, and as we know from watching E.T., sometimes the costumes are fucking dumb and don't make any sense. I still don't know what Elliot was trying to be in I e. don't know what Elliot was trying to be. I think he's a zombie. I, 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 I don't know. There's... Whatever. <laughs> yeah, so they're walking through this crowd of a bunch of really weird costumes, and... All of the girls are turning and looking at this boy. Every single girl. And there's a couple dudes who are just looking like, okay, but all the girls are like, whoa. Like full ass head turn. Yes. Not even like glance. Like they are slow dancing with a boy and do a complete 180 head turn. Exactly. And Kat is at her own house at a party she did not volunteer to throw. They volunteered her to have the yeah, party at her Yeah, they volunteered her ass that Whipstaff was going to be the Halloween dance. Yeah, so she, they are at, they are like crashing her house. And then no one is dancing with her, and she's sitting off by the, by herself on the side of, like, the dance floor. And Casper, who is turning all the heads, comes over and goes, you, I want to dance with you. Yes. <laughs> and so here's the other thing that's, like, weirdly creepy about this. is So, like, Casper asks Kat to dance. Obviously, they have the, uh, the, the reveal that it is Casper when he says, can I keep you? Um, they have their kiss. They're floating. He turns into a ghost. Everybody screams and runs away. But what... <laughs> bothers me the most casper is kissing cat while cat is wearing the dress a dress that belonged to his dead mom like that is just 
so weird to me. And I, I don't know why that sits so weird in my soul because like that's that's such a traditional thing with like weddings where people are like, oh, this is my mom's wedding dress or this is my mother-in-law's wedding dress. But like to be like, hey, this is a dress that belonged to my mom. She's dead now and I'm dead and I'm going to kiss you while you're wearing my dead mom's dress and I'm dead. <laughs> it's only weird when you put it that way. But you <laughs> admit it's a Weird. It's a little weird, but it's also like Casper's probably never known any other girls, maybe. I don't, you probably not, but it's just like in my head, it's like, hey, I'm in love with you and I'm gonna kiss you. By the way, dress like my mom. Like, that's so upsetting to me. This is like, are you implying Casper has like a weird Oedipus complex? You know what? We are pro mommy in this house, so maybe. Like, why do you make this so weird? <laughs> Because that that is what I'm here to do is to t- let's make Casper weirder and darker than we possibly need to. <laughs> hey, that's the beauty of film theory is that you can analyze anything and make it real fucking weird real quick. <laughs> so so yes, thank you Devin Sawa for you know sparking puberty for plenty of of young girls in the 90s uh that is forever going to be you know the the boy scout badge that i hope you are most proud of (laughs) (laughs) he is in so many movies like the cinematic (laughs) treasure of idle hands and i hope he is most proud of being the first horny thought for a bunch of 10 year old girls I mean, things don't even think that it was necessarily horny. Now you're making it weird. I think you're just oh, like, I'm making it weird. <laughs> it's more like love and infatuation. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, I know plenty of girls who are like, I wish my first kiss was as magical as the one in Casper. So I mean, if anything, you also set up a very unrealistic expectation for a lot of people. So you know what? I take it back. Yeah, no one's gonna be floating. <laughs> no one's gonna be floating. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. So, Harmony, we've gotten to that point where, you know, we're a little too young for prom here. So, Casper is like asking you. The junior you, Sadie Hawkins dance or whatever. <laughs> Casper is inviting you to the Halloween dance at Whipstaff Manor, also known as the house from the Backstreet's Back Everybody music video. Yeah, which I kept saying repeatedly, I'm like, this looks like the same house. And you're just like, no, I think it's just similar. I'm like, no, it's the same house, I swear. Well, in my defense, the spiral that's on the ground was a different color in the dance sequences, so I was like, I think it's just inspired by it. Nope, it's the same fucking set. You're welcome. Anyway, you're being asked to the Halloween dance by Casper. Do you say yes, no, or maybe? Do you send a note back? I'm gonna say a tentative yes. Okay, tentative yes. So An you asterisk might, you might, yes. You might have other plans that night. <laughs> Yes. So I'm like teetering between maybe and yes. I'm going to say yes, but with like the note that one, I want to go to this party in general because the set design for this movie is incredible. Yes. (laughs) But I don't really feel compelled to revisit this movie. Mm -hmm. It was really nice to do it for this. We definitely got a lot more like stuff out of it than I thought we were going to originally. (laughs) And that's super cool, and that's, like, the most fun thing about doing this podcast. But a lot of the slapstick falls kind of kind of flat. Like, it's, it's cute. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, I am a sucker for CG or, like, animated characters interacting with real-life objects for practical effects. Mm-hmm. So I like seeing a whole lot of that in this movie. But 
I would really just kind of put this as a, a still a good movie for kids to watch, especially if you need to like have a conversation about death or at least give them a concept of mortality and make it not scary. Mm-hmm. Or otherwise put it on in the background for like a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I need to sit down and actually watch this movie. So I'm, I guess I'm going to change it. I'm going to give it a maybe. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm going to say maybe to going to prom with this. But it's a strong maybe with a lot of good things. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It does everything it should. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that is our first maybe, I believe. Well, they can't all be winners. Yeah, that's true. All right, Casper, you got a maybe. So uh, might be back to the drawing board for you, buddy. But thank you again for listening to this episode of This Ends at Prom. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. That is where we will be announcing what movie is coming next week, and that is going to be exclusive to where we are announcing where things are next week. We also put where you can find the movies, whether on streaming or purchasing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's my name, at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me at Velocitraptor. There are underscores in there, so make sure that you are clicking the appropriate links to get the actual me and not whoever the hell else has it. <laughs> and thanks, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us the use of title as our main theme from their album, Modern Female Rockstar. Find them on Bandcamp, Spotify, wherever it is you get your tunes. Thanks again. We will see you next week. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more